inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. I appreciate the reviews and ratings from our listeners. I've been getting some great feedback, both online and in person. And I love seeing those five-star re- and I love seeing those five-star reviews. It helps me out a lot, and it helps other horse lovers find this podcast. So my heartfelt thanks to everyone who's left me a review. I enjoy reading your comments. We love your ideas and suggestions, so please keep them coming. Since the last time we recorded, I've been busy just soaking up as much summer as possible. I've been spending a lot of time boating and hiking and working on TV projects and film projects. We do a lot of video shoots in the summer. We did a big shoot on grooming tips, so sort of shared some professional levels. I don't like like this either. Sorry, I'm going to stick with my script. Since the last time we recorded, I've been enjoying the summer, spending time boating, hiking, and of course riding horses. We also do a lot of video shoots in the summer around here. Of course, it's beautiful. The uh, grass is green. The pond is full. There's still snow in the mountains. So it's a beautiful time of year to film. And because I do less traveling in the summer and I'm at home more, it gives us an opportunity to catch catch up on video projects. We did a big shoot in the middle of the summer on grooming tips, all sort of professional level grooming tips. That was a lot of fun. We also shot some stand-ups for the new TV series on top of the Continental Divide and hiking around the ancient game trail that exists up there. That was a lot of fun. And Rich has been busy shopping for horses, so we've been looking at a lot of horses online. He's on his way to Montana next week to go to a big performance horse sale up there. He's gotten kind of desperate to find a horse before uh, winter hits, so we're uh, excited to see what he may or may not come home with in a couple of weeks. I've been a little concerned about my three-year-old pepperoni, and uh, yesterday the vet confirmed my suspicions, and he's got a little injury going on, so I'm unfortunately not going to be able to ride him for a few weeks, but fortunately I have a really nice backup horse with my little mare Annie, so um, this just proves my theory why one horse isn't enough. I have to have at least two or three. So I'm glad to have a backup horse because this fall I've got a lot of clinics and expos coming up starting actually uh, right in the beginning of September. I've got trips to Minnesota. I've got clinics in Granby, Colorado twice in the fall. I'm going to California, New York, Massachusetts. So I'm going to be a lot of places. I hope to see you somewhere on the road. So be sure to check out my schedule online at juliegoodnight.com slash events. We've been getting a lot of questions about bits lately. There is so much confusion out there over bits. There are so many conflicting opinions. And unfortunately, there are some huge misconceptions And frankly, what a lot of people think they know about bits is factually wrong. And so sometimes answering questions means clearing up misconceptions. Our goal is to make bits better for horses, to look at the horse and recognize the signs of discomfort and find the best bit for that horse. There are literally thousands of bits out there. My goal is to give you accurate information about all types of bits, how they work, what makes them mild or harsh, so that you can look at any bit and understand it. So rather than tell you exactly what bit you should use, I, I would try to give you the information that you can make that decision for yourself. 
But before we get started on the main topic, which is bits and bidding, I'd like to remind everyone to sign up for my newsletter, which comes to your inbox twice a month with in-depth training advice, information about my clinics and expos, and deals on great horse products that you don't want to miss. To sign up, just go to juliegoodnight.com and hit contact. While you're there, check out my Horsemanship Academy with online membership programs and unlimited access to hundreds of horse training videos. My interactive membership includes horsemanship lessons for every riding level and personalized coaching from me. And right now, I'd like to share with you bits and bidding. The first question you might ask is, why do we use bits? Do I need to use a bit? And these are good questions. The first and most important reason why we use bits and why we've used them for thousands of years is because the bit, the metal in the horse's mouth, allows us to counteract the flight response of the horse. His instinctive behavior is huge. His power and strength are tremendous. And the bit allows us maybe to stop a horse that is in full flight mode that's that's running away with you, a spooking horse or what have you. So first and foremost, it's, it's about control over the flight response. Secondly, and maybe this is more important for most of us whose horses aren't running away with us, uh, the second thing that we achieve with bits is the ability to apply enough pressure to the horse to motivate him to do things that are very difficult for him to do, such as, you know, sliding stops or collection or bending or lateral movements or rollbacks or jumping or whatever. So it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. One is we want that stopping ability, the ability to counteract the flight response. And the other thing is we want the ability to communicate and motivate the horse to perform at a higher level. It's important for you to understand that bits don't train horses. People train horses. Uh, however, bits can cause a lot of problems in training. And a myriad of training issues can be traced back to an inappropriate bit or inappropriate use of that bit. In other words, the hands of the rider. You know, a lot of times I've seen throughout my whole life, not just my career as a horse trainer, but before that, the temptation to put a stronger bit in the mouth of a horse that's difficult to control. Let's say he's a hot-blooded horse and he's spooky and runs away with you and all that kind of stuff. Our temptation is to put a stronger bit in the mouth to try to establish some control. However, that rarely works. It almost always makes the problems worse. And the reason why is because most of those problems are associated with anxiety in the horse. And so when you increase the harshness of the bit or the strength of the bit, you also increase his anxiety. So it, it tends to exacerbate problems rather than resolve them. And so oftentimes with those horses that are difficult to control, we have to do the opposite. We have to find bits that reduce anxiety um, to a maximum degree to, to bring their anxiety level down. And, you, you know, you might ask yourself why why who made me an expert on bits and <laughs> no one did actually nobody made me an expert on anything um my expertise comes from a lifetime of studying bits i've always been fascinated by them since i was a young kid first learning about the difference between a snaffle and a curb bit um, these are things i learned factually and correctly from a very young age but i've always been fascinated by bits and and studying the history of bits and looking at old bits and and also keeping up with new technology and bits and so i've always been passionate about studying bits and of course as a horse trainer i deal with them firsthand and the results of a good bit or a bad bit and then about oh 10 12 years ago i first had the opportunity to meet the Myler brothers 
and they are um, three brothers who have dedicated their entire lives to making bits better for horses. And between the three of them, they have a horse training background, engineering, and logistics, and all of that stuff to, to just make it happen. And I, they have spent their entire lives studying bits and how they work on horses in all disciplines of riding all over the world, all breeds of horses. And so I've come to know them well, and I've learned so much from them. And I actually learned some things I didn't know or I, I had an inaccurate um, knowledge of. I got clarified on from them. So I'm certainly not the world's for- foremost expert on bits, but I have studied them a lot and I've learned a lot. And then I've um, learned how to explain that to people so they can understand them better. So ultimately, it's important to understand that any any bit can be harsh and any bit can be mild because that ultimately lies in the hands of the rider. And the softest bit in the world can be harsh in the wrong hands. So let's talk for a minute about the different types of bits. There's really only two classifications of bits and we call them direct pressure or leverage another way we put that is snaffle or curb and direct pressure bit just means that the reins are attached directly opposite the mouthpiece and so the most common version of that is the snaffle bit so it has a ring and it has a mouthpiece And the reins are attached directly opposite the mouthpiece on the ring. And it's called direct pressure because that means that a pound of pull on that rein delivers a pound of pressure on that horse's mouth. And the leverage bits, the rein is attached below the mouthpiece the head stall is attached above the mouthpiece, so there's a shank that runs alongside, and a curb chain, which acts as a fulcrum, so this bit generates leverage. And it's often called a curb bit, that's C-U-R-B, not C-U-R-V-E. Uh, it's a curb bit, and it refers to the curb strap or curb chain that comes behind the chin of the horse um, that pre- prevents the bit from rotating. So uh, it generates leverage in the horse's mouth. So talking about snaffles, there's there's a lot of misunderstanding and um actual misconceptions about snaffle bits one of the most common ones is that if it has a joint in the middle it's a snaffle the jointedness in the mouthpiece has nothing to do with whether or not it's a snaffle and so it's it's strictly about the direct pressure Um, it's strictly about the rein being attached directly opposite the mouthpiece so the configuration of that mouthpiece doesn't really weigh in. In other words, I could have a curb bit, a leverage bit that has a joint in the middle. In fact, there's a really common bit called the tom thumb that people frequently call a snaffle because they think it's the jointedness that defines it as a snaffle. So that's a really common misconception. And and as well, the tom thumb is a highly misunderstood bit for the same reason. It's a leverage bit. It has a shank and a curb chain or strap, and the t- and, but it has a single joint in the middle, like many snaffles do. And it's generally called a tom thumb. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as a western snaffle. And because people think snaffles are mild and curbs are, are harsh, which is not true, but they think that. Um, so they and then they think that a, a, a bit that's jointed is a snaffle. So they think it's a snaffle, so they think it's a mild bit. Yet the tom thumb curb bit is one of the harshest bits out there. The uh, combination of the shank and the single joint really produce a tremendous amount of painful pressure in the horse's mouth. You will almost always see horses in that bit gaping their mouth. 
every now and then I run across a horse that gets along fine in the tom thumb, but most horses are going to gape their mouth. So um, see how these misconceptions sort of one leads to another leads to another, and then you're totally getting the wrong bit for your horse because you thought it was mild. So um, another misconception, as I mentioned, is that a snaffle bit is mild and a curb bit is harsh. That's simply not true. Some of the harshest bits I know of are snaffle bits. And I know of some very, very mild curb bits. I'm, some of the curb bits I use are much milder than, say, a traditional single-jointed snaffle. So that's a misconception that uh, who knows where it came from, but it, it has not it served horses well. Let's talk for a minute about hackamores. Hackamores are bridles that do not have any bit that goes in the mouth, so they function off a nosed band primarily. And just like with bits, there are two classifications of hackamores, direct pressure and leverage. Sometimes this is referred to as the true hackamore versus the mechanical hackamore. And so your true hackamores would be any, anything from a rope halter, riding in a rope halter, to a side pull, to a bosal, or any kind of simple hackamore. The mechanical hackamores have shanks, have curb chains or curb straps, um, and they function just the same as a curb bit. And the direct pressure hackamores function just the same as a snaffle bit, except they operate off the bridge of the horse's nose instead of the mouth. And hackamores can be great training devices, generally, you know, thought of as a way to bring along a young horse. But there's all kinds of reasons, other reasons why we might choose to ride in a hackamore. And uh, for instance, a lot of times trail riders like to ride in hackamore so that the horse can eat and drink easier while they're on the trail. And uh, you might have a horse that develops a problem in his mouth, either a dental problem or a scarring problem from a you know previous abuse or something. And that horse will, will need to go in a hackamore. So sometimes we take horses to hackamores that are really hot-blooded, uh, sensitive, hot, forward horses and the bit in their mouth is just too much pressure or increases the anxiety to a level that's unmanageable but you can keep those horses in a hackamore and you know keep their keep their anxiety down just a little bit so they are generally thought of as for younger greener horses but could be used throughout the lifetime of a horse for different reasons so the uh People often ask, you know, can I ride my horse without a bit? And in generally, when they're asking that question, what they're really asking about is the cross-under bridle. And, and here's what I always ask them back. Um, I, I would say it is perfectly fine to ride a horse without a bit if you can answer these two questions correctly. Number one, um, can you stop your horse 100% of the time? And if there's even a hesitation in that answer, I would probably want a bit in the horse's mouth. Uh, question number two, what does your horse do when he spooks? And if your answer is he spins and bolts, then I would definitely want a bit in that horse's mouth. But if what you're riding is a well-trained, compliant horse that's none of the above, and he's he's easy to stop, he rarely spooks, he's always compliant, he's well-trained in every regard, you could probably ride him with dental floss and he'd do just fine. So, um, sure, no problem with riding the horse in the hackamore. Just keep in mind that the first thing I talked about is what a bit does, a bit in the horse's mouth does, is allow you to motivate the horse to do things that are difficult, and it allows you to communicate with such a level of refinement that you are literally controlling every muscle in that horse's body. Um, so the um, hackamores then would have some limitations in that regard. Let's talk for a minute about 
the pressure points that horses feel from bits and bridles and hackamores. Um, first of all, from a bit, the layers of the horse's mouth are the lips, the tongue, the bars, and the palate. To me, the lips are the softest layer, and I like my horses to be so light and responsive that the smallest wiggle of my finger causes a little wiggle on the corner of his lips, and he feels that and responds. So to me, the, the lips are the most delectable layer and the first layer of the horse's mouth. When you ride that horse with constant contact, um, with relentless contact, or um, or when you when you do take up contact, you take it up so hard that you blow right past the lips to the tongue and bars. You you've already blown past the horse's lightness. So experiment with that a little bit the next layer you get to in the horse's mouth as as you come into contact is the tongue and this is the pressure that horses hate the most and i think it is the pressure we would hate the most as well he doesn't like to have his tongue impeded he doesn't like pressure on his tongue almost all of the bad behaviors we associate with bits is related to pressure on the tongue the bars of the horse's mouth are the that area of gums where there are no teeth. The area of gum between the lower teeth and the upper teeth where the bit sits. And the bars of the, of the mouth are pretty tough. If you actually, uh, a, horse, a horse has a similar um, nerves in his mouth as we do. So he certainly feels the things we feel in our mouth. And um, so... The bars, if you take your fingernail and kind of press it down, and you, the bars of your mouth are behind your molars. So if you press your fingernail into your gum back there, you'll see they're, they're not highly, highly sensitive um, compared to the tongue. So, and then the other area of pressure inside the horse's mouth is the palate, the roof of the mouth. This is, of course, just like it is in you, highly, highly, highly sensitive area. Um, and... So um, sometimes high ported bits can get up into the palate of the horse. So the bridle itself and the hackamore, in addition, might also put pressure on the nose, the chin, and the pole of, of the horse's head. The pole is between the ears. So these are all areas of pressure points on the horse's head and mouth that, that the bit can and will affect. Let me just point out while you're thinking about the inside of a horse's mouth that if you're sitting there listening with your mouth closed and relaxed, your tongue is filling up your entire mouth. It's touching the palate. It's touching the front of your teeth, the bottom of your mouth, and the sides of your teeth. That's what tongues do. They're just a giant muscle that fills up your mouth. And of course, the horse's tongue is huge. And so my point is that when the horse's mouth is closed and relaxed, his tongue feel, fills that entire cavity. So any bit that we put in a horse's mouth is taking up space that's not really there to begin with. So this speaks to um, the thickness of the bit and um, a lot of other issues about what how much pressure is pushing down into the tongue of the horse. What makes bits mild or harsh? Generally, when we think about the mildness and the harshness of bits or of nosebands, we think about two main things, diameter and texture. And so a wire-thin bit, a really small diameter would be an extreme amount of pressure. It would have cutting pressure. And so if you, if you take the point of your index finger and you press into the muscle in your arm, you will feel focalized pressure. But if you take the palm of your hand and you press the same amount of pressure over a larger area, 
it distributes the same amount of pressure and and you won't feel the same amount of pain and so that's the theory of diameter so while it is true that a super narrow diameter bit is um, abusive to the horse that does not make a really fat bit great for the horse because of the aforementioned there's no room in your horse's mouth for a fat bit um, I find that about a three-eighths inch diameter is is the best of both worlds. It's not too narrow a diameter that's going to have a cutting action in the tongue, but it's not so wide that it makes the horse uncomfortable in his mouth. So the diameter and the same thing applies to nose bands. All, it, it applies in the exact same way to nose bands. And curb chains, by the way. So um, the other thing that makes bits harsh is texture. And so, in other words, a smooth, ergonomically shaped piece of metal is much milder than something that's twisted or gnarled or has a lot of joints in it or has... Um, corners angles um you know you have to be careful for instance a lot of people think that three-piece snaffles the dog bone snaffles are great and sometimes they are but sometimes those dog bones are actually angled so that they press into the tongue of the horse instead of lay flat against the tongue so anything that um, causes that mouthpiece to not be smooth or that uh, nose band to not be smooth and to add any kind of texture to it all also focalizes the pressure and so you know when i mentioned earlier that you know one some of the harshest bits out there are snaffles i'm thinking of the double twisted wire snaffle um, which has offset joints in it so it's it's uh twisted wire two two rungs of twisted wire with offset joints that kind of um, have a, a nutcracker effect on the horse. So um, the, it's the texture of that twisted wire that makes it so harsh and the, di the very small diameter of that wire. What do horses hate the most about bits? As I mentioned a minute ago, um, generally most of the behaviors that we see that we don't like and we associate them with bits... Um, almost all of those have to do with the pressure on the tongue of the horse. The types of signs that we're looking for that tell us that a horse is struggling with the bit. He may be inverted with his uh, nose way up in the air and his neck and back hollowed out. Um, sometimes that's called stargazing. He may be tossing his head up kind of rhythmically, just tossing it, tossing it, tossing. What he's actually tossing is the bit. He's tossing the bit up to get it off his tongue. Rooting and leaning on the bit. Uh, generally, these are horses that are um, they're getting too much contact on the bit. They can't handle it. Um, so they start leaning on it, rooting the reins, trying to get a release of pressure. Uh, we see horses opening their mouth, sticking their tongue outside their mouth. But some, some less subtle signs could be that the horse is going too fast all the time. You know, remember, these are flight animals. And what they do when they get anxious is go faster. And so when, you, when a horse is really struggling with the, with the bit or the rider's hands... Um, often they go faster and faster and faster because they're defaulting to flight and to in order to escape um, that which they can't seem to get away from in any other way. So I would uh, sometimes we can look at horses that are too fast and see that there's actually a bit problem or a rider problem or both. Also, horses that are excessively spooky, um, same thing. Uh, they've just they're on emotional overload they are at their um, melting point of emotion and anxiety um, so then when you take up contact on the bit it, it puts them over the top so that's behavior that I would uh, I would take a look at so when a horse 
By the way, all of those behaviors are in the horse's effort to get pressure off his tongue. So when he inverts and sticks his nose way up in the air, what happens is that bit slides down the tongue and goes to his lips, and so he's actually carrying the bit in his lips instead of on his tongue. When he's tossing the, his head, he's throwing the bit up in the air, and for that brief second, as his head comes down, he gets a release of pressure from his tongue. And when he roots the reins, it's the same thing. He pulls the reins out of your hands, and then when he comes back, he gets a release of pressure. So it's, it's self-rewarding every time he does it. Um, of course, the gaping mouth, I think, is probably one of the most overt signs that the horse is struggling to handle the bit. So um, a lot of times we can resolve some of those issues by finding a bit that relieves um, the pressure off the horse's tongue. Let me talk for a minute more about leverage bits and why we use them. You know, again, we've, we've sort of come to believe in the last few decades that snaffle bits are better for horses. And uh, there might have been a time when I thought that was true as well. But I, I know it's not true now. I see so many problems from horses being left in the snaffle bit too long or from riders that are just hanging on that snaffle bit. Um, in, in a weird sort of way, it's the mildness of that bit that allows the rider to hang on it. It's the mildness of that bit that allows the rider to balance on the bit when, when the rider gets out of balance. And that doesn't mean... Just because the horse can tolerate it doesn't mean it's great for the horse. So if he didn't tolerate it, the rider wouldn't do it. So in a way, the snaffle can become an enabling device in that way. So a lot of, you know, in general, we think of snaffle bits at, for greener horses, and that as horses advance in the training, we move them towards the curb bit um, at a higher level of performance. And... Um, so what will happen is if you leave that, you know, horse in the snaffle too long as he becomes lighter and more responsive is he starts resenting the pressure that never goes away. The snaffle bit sort of hangs on the tongue of the horse. It, it wraps around the mouth rather than suspend in the mouth. So it's a lot more pressure that um, when nothing's going on with the rider and the reins, there's a lot more pressure on the horse's mouth in the snaffle than there is in a curb bit, which tends to have a solid mouthpiece and tends to hang suspended in the horse's mouth. So when that young green horse stays in the snaffle too long, he starts leaning on it. He starts getting heavier in your hands rather than lighter. Uh, when you pick up contact on the snaffle, the bit actually rotates down in the horse's mouth. So it has a tendency, as horses start giving more and more to the snaffle, they also eventually start coming heavier on the forehand. And as we progress that horse in the training, we're trying to lift the shoulders and get him back on his hocks. And so that's uh, one of the main reasons why we end up moving to toward the curb bit is to give us the ability to lift the shoulders of the horse and uh, engage his hindquarters a little bit more. And another thing I wanted to mention about leveraged bits is, you know, it's, it's, it's just gross oversimplification to, to think that all leverage bits are harsh because it depends on the amount of leverage in the bit and it depends on the mouthpiece and the amount of port and um, a medium port is better for a horse than no port at all because it takes pressure off his tongue but if the port starts getting really excessively high and the rider picks up contact on that bit then you might be getting into the palate of the horse which is very sensitive however those high ported curb bits we're only using on highly highly trained horses and you're never gonna pick up the reins like that you're not using the reins to stop that horse you're not using the bit to turn that horse you're using your seat and legs and the slightest movement of one finger and the horse is responding so you're never grabbing hold of that horse so the amount of leverage in a curb bit is measured by not by the length of the shank but by the ratio 
between the upper part of the shank, which is called the purchase. So the part above the mouthpiece where the headstall attaches is called the purchase of the curb bit. What is below the mouthpiece is called the shank. And so it is actually the ratio between the purchase and the shank that tells you how much leverage a bit has. And if the purchase is tall and the shank is short, it it's possible that that curb bit has hardly any more leverage than a snaffle. So it might um, have like a, a 1 to 1. 1.5 uh, ratio, which means one pound of pressure would deliver one and a half pounds, or it could be a one to two, one to three, um, one to four. Um, probably not going to get much higher than that, but um, so it's it's the ratio between the purchase and the shank, and not just simply the shank itself that um, generates the leverage. Ultimately, if you are doing any kind of competition with a horse, the rule book is going to dictate what type of bit you use. However, you may train in a totally different bit. For instance, um, some high levels of competition require really high levels of bits, um, like cow horse competition, for instance. Um, you're required to ride in a long shank, solid mouthpiece, high ported curb. And um, that's not necessarily a bit that people are training in every day at home. They want something they can ride two-handed at home. They want something they can kind of work on flexing and exercises with. And, um, and maybe they want to do some more casual riding than that bit is made for. So um, if you are competition-oriented, you definitely need to know the rule books you show under, what bits are allowed and not allowed. That does not mean you have to use those bits all the time because perfect practice makes perfect. So if your horse doesn't go well in that bit, train him in the bit he does go well in. Um, only use that, sh that bit right before a show or at the show itself couple of more things I wanted to mention in terms of bits. Um, how high the horse, the bit goes in the horse's mouth is important. Um, there's a lot of varying opinions out there, and I'm not saying that mine is the right one. And, and um, However, because I like to ride off the lips of the horse in, with the lightest amount of contact on his mouth, I don't like the bit up very high in his mouth. I want the mouthpiece to be touching the corner of the mouth, both corners of the mouth, when the horse is standing relaxed, but no upward pressure on the lips. Because when you, you know, you may have heard people say, how many wrinkles do you put in your horse's lips? One wrinkle, two wrinkles. I want no wrinkles. Because any upward pressure on that bit is already getting past the first layer of contact, which is the lips of the horse. So as we add upward pressure to the lips, you no longer have the ability to make that subtle correction with just a flutter of your finger and a wiggle of the horse's lips. So, but if you... If you let that bit to hang down a little too low and there's a gap between the corner of his mouth and the mouthpiece, that mouthpiece could easily hit his teeth. So um, there's a, a definitely a just right little area in there, um, but don't uh, get rid of that two wrinkle idea because that's just really uncomfortable for your horse. Also, you might consider my video on bits and bidding, and also I have a bidding system that I designed and sell. Um, it's a system I really like. It's called an elbow pull. Um, it teaches the horse self-carriage. It's a great way to condition your horse in a collected frame. It teaches him vertical flexion. We also need to train the horse lateral flexion from the bit. And my video shows all that kind of stuff. It actually takes a young horse that's never been had a bit in its mouth. And we go through the whole process of bidding that horse out. And also in that video, we work with a horse that had a very serious bidding problem. He was extremely inverted. He'd been ridden for a long time in a tie down. And um, so the bidding system worked great to rehabilitate that horse as well.
So that was a lot of information on bits, and I didn't even really um, get to the depth of it. That was just the beginning. So there's a lot of information to know. If you go to my website, juliegoodnight.com slash bits, it will bring you to a page all about the bits I use, which are all Myler bits. It talks about each bit, what type of horse I use it on, why I use it on that type of horse, why that horse reacts well to it. Also, there is a bidding questionnaire there you can fill out if you would like a recommendation on what kind of bit your horse needs. And there's also a PowerPoint presentation there that you can watch from Dale Myler. And it's really fascinating, gets into the anatomy of the horse's mouth and, and the mechanics of how bits work. And uh, it's very, very informative. So I encourage you to find information there as well. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. I love answering your questions, and we've been going on Facebook and asking for suggestions and questions from you. And this month, I'm really excited to have two call-in questions. And I love the call-in live questions because I can actually ask you questions about your horse and get more information and zero in on the solution. So let's get started with our first question. to our very first caller and today we're talking to Francine. Tell me a little bit about your horse, Francine. Well, hi, Julie. Um, she, I'm excited to talk to you about her. She's a new horse for me and I'm learning without having someone else tell me about her and all that kind of stuff. And um, one of the things, uh, she's very well trained. Um, I don't know everything about her background, so I'm kind of experimenting, but from the get-go, I did go to Texas and I rode her, and I took note of the bit she was in, but that isn't something that I had in my pack room. So when I came home, um, I just started with one of my mildest bits and kept changing them. And what I found with her, um, well, nothing was working, so I called the vet, had her teeth done, and then um, started again all over with all the bits starting my way up and what I find is she really likes my uh, it's not quite a spade bit but it's what I use on my bridle horses and she's a trained grainer she frames them really nice but what I find with the other bits number one she'd find them off the bat and then um, some of them would work but when she'd actually start loping and come into frame it would go everything would fall apart in the mouth. So like I say, the one that's working is the one that I ride my bridle horses in, which is a medium quart, long shank, um, solid bit. But the problem is I only have one and it's on my, it's an expensive bit and it's on my expensive head stall. And that's what I've been riding her in for her comfort, but that isn't the one I want to keep riding in. But I'm, I'm not sure whether it's the, the build of the bit. I don't know what's working and why she likes that one, but I'm not really excited to run out and buy another $600 bit. <laughs> right. So I'm looking for some guidance to go, is it the tongue release? Is it the, you know, I just don't know what it is that's working, but I don't want to use my show bit for every day. And especially my sure. little on the ranch. So you've got to get a second bit, and you're still struggling to figure out what bit she's going to go best with, except for this uh, show bit. She seems to go well. But when you say, you said at one point everything was a mess in her mouth, and then you said something about it, everything went well. Tell me a little bit about, well, first of all, let me ask you some questions. How old is she? And you said she's well-trained, but well-trained to do what? Um, so she does ranch riding, raining, um, everything but on the cow. I didn't know if she hadn't been on the cow till I took a go show and tried it. But she, you know, does lead changes very well. Um, she's very calm, goes over bridges, uh, does ranch trail, awesome, which is actually what I got her for so I could start slower 
I don't need to run right into the cow horse. Mm-hmm. So when when I bridled her up, like when I first, this is what I do, and I don't even know if this is right, and you help me with it. Because I put a bit in their mouth, and, you know, if I can get everything adjusted, and they're comfortable, then I'll take them in the round pin, and then I start round pinning them. I, you know, I don't just jump off. Well, like a snaffle, she absolutely did not like it. She was gaping her mouth. Like of course not. You, not yeah, you can't take a horse that's in the bridle and put them in a snaffle. That's all but insulting right. to them. And it's also, uh, a, it, it's a lot of pressure, the snaffle is. And to a horse that's become very, very light in the mouth, which at this level of training, it, she has and she's become comfortable with a very high level bit so taking her back to the snaffle of course would be, would be a disaster did is that what when you said you started over is that what you mean you went all the way back to the snaffle trying bit, different bits yes so i went back to the snaffle and i worked up with like a tom thumb and then i had longer shanks with a dog bone anything that was broken in the mouth she did not i mean we never made it out of, you know, she would gape at the mouth. So okay. then as I got up with a more solid mouth pieces, but the ones that hinge and had any movement, those are the ones that would, you know, get into the round pin, but as she started loping and got into frame, then it would fall apart. She did not like those in her mouth. I don't know whether it was a movement. I'm, a, I'm assuming that. So, um, like I well, said, what do you mean? I mean, what do you mean you put her in the round pen? Were you riding her there or just working her from the ground? I, I just, I always start working from the ground so I can see what they're doing mm -hmm. and how they're handling it. And so, and, what um, did you do with the reins? Tie them up. Either that or sometimes I take them off. So, there's no I, rain contact? It was so sensitive. Yeah, when I figured out she was so sensitive, then I'd take them off as I started trying things. Uh-huh. And I just totally, which, you know, on those longer shank doesn't work very good. Mm -hmm. So those, I would tie up my rein, so it would be like I was riding her. Mm -hmm. Tie them up to the horn and have plenty of slack, because she's low-headed, she's a reiner. Mm -hmm. So she's low-headed, so I wanted to give her plenty of room, but I didn't want them slapping her either. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, you know, with with my show set up and Romel, I mean, I didn't have the Romels on her, but looped her around. She got along good. Put on the Romel, get on, ride her. You know, and then I kept. I I didn't ride her actually three four months um, of that, and she gets along perfect with that. But riding out on the ranch, I don't like her you know that's an expensive setup to be having okay right no you cool. need you obviously you need a a bit that uh substitutes for that bit that's not a bit you can use every day and clunk around the ranch on and um and so uh, my only other question is well i have two did was there any difference after you got her teeth floated were there any problems found there she she had sharp, I mean, they were sharp. They had been done. Her owner had passed away a couple of years before, and her owner was a veterinarian. I'm assuming oh. since she passed, she hadn't had her teeth done. There was nothing extremely bad in there. Um, and so she's on a six-month check, because we don't know how her teeth really are going to be. Uh -huh. um, her six months will be up in, um, she was done in April, so this is the end of uh -huh. Okay. So not that far into it. So once things derailed, at first I never even rode her or anything. I just called the vet and had her teeth done because I didn't let it get to the point where, gosh, everything in her mouth was disturbing us because I wasn't sure what was in there. Okay. So you don't, so there wasn't a before and after, just an after. Um, okay. You know, it, so it's clear to me, it sounds like, that any pressure at all on her tongue, she's going to cause her to resist. She's become comfortable with a high-ported, solid mouthpiece. Um, whether it's because just because it's solid and it's sitting up higher on her tongue, 
Um, it's It could be suspending in her mouth better in such a way that it's kind of taking all the pressure off the tongue, if you know what I mean. Um, but it sounds like to her, it's all about getting all the pressure off her tongue and she would way rather take a high port than, or a spade even, you know, kind of lay, lay in there kind of nice without putting pressure on the tongue. And, um, so, and if you like, I mean, is she working in that bit? Is it exactly as you would like her to be working? Definitely. I mean, she loves it. There's a crooked in there, and you know, she. I showed her in it. I would just, I would just stick with. I would find a bit that mimics that as closely as you can, and stick with that. Why change it? Don't fix. I mean, the only thing you have to fix really is that you need a a cheaper version of that bit. Um. So, you know, I would look at Mylar first. They make all kinds of, of high-performance mouthpieces. Um, you can, um, you know, you're still going to be paying probably a couple hundred dollars for a bit, and you're probably not going to find, you know, something that high level for a lot cheaper um, unless it's just stamped out of, you know, some factory well you know unless it's poorly made right. and you don't want to put something poorly made in your horse's mouth especially that high level a bit but you know you what you may want to think about with this horse is is going to the hackamore or something when you are um just riding around out on the ranch and you don't need all of that uh you're not going to be doing uh, arena maneuvers reining maneuvers and all that collection um you could you could still do it with you know a bosal or whatever but um you know that way you know if you're just going out for a pleasure ride or something and you don't want to take those long shanks even once you find a replace a, a second bit um then you could just ride her with some kind of hackmore or whatever okay don't you think i mean okay. she sounds very well trained oh, and yeah. um but she's she's and become comfortable a yeah a loping hackamore sure she's yeah, become she's become comfortable with that level of bit so um Again, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I would, I would try to find something that, that mimics that bit as closely as you can. And um, it's the mouthpiece she cares about the most, not the shanks. Okay. So. Okay, that's, I guess, a big question. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing it's... It's the fact that it's solid and it's sitting up high uh, and coming off her tongue that I'm guessing um, she likes about that. But I don't know. We can't get inside her head. Uh, all we can do is watch how the horse performs and they will tell us whether the bit is tolerable or intolerable. And our goal is to make it as tolerable as possible. So you've watched her. That that bit, even though it's one we would think a horse wouldn't like, um, she likes it. It's her comfort level. So, you know, I, I would personally probably look at a way to mild it down a little bit, a little bit lower port. You're only in a medium port anyway, but, um, you know, make sure there are no sharp corners or nothing correctional about the bit. Um, but that it's solid and, um, and it's got some ergonomic shape where it's not going to be sitting on her tongue. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds good. She's a really nice man. I really am enjoying her and I just I want to keep her comfortable, but not at the expense of my show outfit <laughs> sure absolutely well she sounds awesome and i look forward to seeing you ride her one day well we'll have to do that well thank you so much and then my only other question is copper i mean could it be one of the biggest attractions is the copper in it is it a copper sweet iron is it copper inlays in sweet iron or copper inlay yeah yeah sure that that copper sweet iron blend is a really nice 
uh, adds a nice tangy flavor to the bit for the horse just like it does for you if you run your tongue up and down it's a chemical reaction going on between saliva and the copper and the sweet iron and it it's it's a pleasing um, taste and so they like it yeah absolutely um, and the cricket definitely gives something for the horse to it's hypnotic in nature and and it's repetitive so it's it's kind of like you know sucking your thumb or twirling your hair or whatever it's it's a comfort thing I think they like the sound uh, it, it irritates everybody else listening to it but the horse likes it so yeah okay Okay. Well, great. Well, I appreciate your help. As usual. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Let's move on to our next caller. It's Tracy. Tracy, tell me a little bit about your horse and what is your question? Well, basically we do a lot of horsemanship here. And my question is, um, we like to start in a snaffle bit and progress to a hackamore and onto the two rein and onto the bridle bit. Is there an age that you would say is too young to put a horse in a bridle bit and what would that be? And that would that be because of maturity or dentistry or you know, either? It's a excellent question and I had to keep from laughing out loud just because I am I just ordered a curb bit for my colt and I thought gosh, some people are going to freak out that I'm putting a three-year-old in a curb bit but you know what he's ready for it and it's actually going to be better for him and so there's no you know we it's an it's a little bit arbitrary to say five-year-old is the magic age that a horse should move into the curb bit it that's you know but the rule book had to say something and um you know certainly a two-year-old has a very immature mouth uh their teeth change a lot in their three and four-year-old years but any kind of bit can cause problems with the teeth so it's um and then size-wise you know if I notice, particularly if it's a fine-headed two-year-old, when you start them, their mouths are really little, and um, it's, you know, I have to order down a size or um, sometimes in but four and three quarters is generally the smallest you can get um, much variety of bits in so um, so there are some physical maturity uh, limitations I would say and I can't really imagine a situation where a two-year-old was far enough along to be advanced all the way up to the curve bit but the certainly the snaffle to hackamore you know some people would go that way some people go hackamore to snaffle um, I would just say when the horse is ready when when you feel like the horse is ready and is training that's going to be the biggest criteria to me it is and when I for instance my my colt who's a three-year-old but he's a bit on the green side for a three-year-old we've been nursing some um, lameness issues with him he started as a two-year-old but um, you know he's had some significant time off so he's you know I wouldn't call him a green horse we're you know working on maneuvers and stuff but he's to the point where I've accomplished everything on a, I can accomplish in the snaffle he's he's giving to it he's soft he's only gonna get less soft and less light he's not going to get better in the snaffle and by moving him up to a mild curb bit i i gain the ability to lift the shoulders of the horse and so now as i'm starting to work on more in advanced maneuvers starting with collection and then moving you know towards uh haunches in shoulder in leg yielding and uh turnarounds and even stops and everything i want that ability to lift the horse's shoulders so um so that's generally when i think of moving up it's not so much an age factor 
factor. Now I might say, okay, I, like like let's say I took that horse all the way up to a mile curb bid and he's only a three-year-old. I still got two more years where I can show two-handed. So I'm going to go back to uh, either the Hackamore or the um, Snaffle if I was going to compete on that horse if I needed the advantage of riding two-handed but probably that horse by the time he's four he's going to be ready to ride one-handed anyway so um does that my, my other question too right along with that is um i've seen a lot of people that ride in um in a snapple forever and my question is doesn't doesn't that kind of retard you know, the horse from advancing, doesn't it kind of keep a horse in kindergarten forever? I think that's a great way of putting it. And I often use the term or use the phrase that horse has been in a snaffle too long in every clinic I do I see it and I see it when somebody takes a trained bridle horse and they take him back to the snaffle the horses get resistant because it's like putting training wheels back on a you know 14 year olds bike and um, but mainly what happens is as we progress horses in in their training they are becoming lighter and lighter and more and more responsive so the snaffle is a very loud heavy inarticulate device and it puts a lot of pressure on the tongue of the horse and so what happens is they actually start resenting that amount of pressure because this horse is becoming lighter and lighter and lighter so you're using less and less and less aids but that bit is still in his mouth hanging on his tongue clamping down on his jaw and um, so it's it's the bit is not getting lighter for him and so that's another good reason to move on to the curb bit and we have been sort of brainwashed to believe some people uh, apparently not you and i but some people have been brainwashed to believe that the snaffle bit is better for the horse and it's just not true and if you just look at the horse and watch their response and see what bit they work better in you'll see that a lot of horses work better when you get them out of that snaffle so uh, along those same lines i totally agree what do you think, I think a lot of people ride a snaffle because they feel they're heavy-handed and they think it's going to be easier on their horse if they're not as quiet-handed. What would you recommend for people like that? One of my favorite bits is called the combination bit, and it's made by Myler, and it combines a hackamore with a bit. And it... Uh-huh. It is a, a really interesting looking configuration and it does not look like it would be mild, but it's extremely mild and it, and it gives you the ability to ride and guide the horse off nose pressure before the bit is engaged. And so with, with a well-trained horse, and an unschooled rider i like that because the horse will do his job and the rider will never get to the bit bit pressure but i understand somebody's sentiment when they think that about the snaffle and to a degree it is true i don't to a degree i don't disagree with it however um if you are leaning and hanging on that snaffle you are doing no service to the horse and um in a weird way, when I get people that ride with too much contact on the snaffle, when you switch them to a curb bit, they won't ride with as much contact because the horse won't move. And so because there's leverage on that contact, the slightest amount of contact causes the horse to stop. So it, in, a way, in a weird sort of way, it trains the rider not to ride with contact. So um, that's kind of an opposite way of looking at it. But, you know, we, we definitely have to protect the, the mouth of the horse uh, from the hands of a beginner rider. And, um, you know, I might take that bridle horse and put a snaffle in his mouth if I was going to put a kid on him. Um yeah. or somebody that I just could not trust to have shanks at all. Um, but I also might consider a hackamore in that situation on a trained horse. You know, you know he's going to do everything just fine in a hackamore. So. Yeah, 
Well, thank you, Tracy. Uh, all my questions. Well, good. Well, you had some great questions, and it was sure a pleasure to talk to you. And you. Have a great day. Thank you, everyone, for a fun and interesting conversation on bits and bidding. And thank you to Francine and Tracy for calling in and sharing your questions. I really enjoyed the conversation. Next month, we'll tackle another horse training subject and hopefully help you find the solutions that make your horse life better. Be sure to hit subscribe and you won't miss a single episode. I enjoy sharing my horse training experience with you, but I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. If you have questions for our Q&A segment, ideas for topics you'd like me to address, or you'd like to participate in a call-in segment on the show, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or visit juliegoodnight.com. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.